It's 836, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right, here is my big announcement. If you felt the earth move about like 1245 yesterday afternoon, it was because I have been dragged, not kicking and screaming, but I have been brought into the the 21st century. Yes, I am pleased to announce that um, I'm on Twitter. You can now follow me on the Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. At Jeff Wagner 620. Um, we, we tried this years ago, and I want to be honest with you. I, I, We had a Twitter account. I wasn't really using it. My producers were using it, and it kind of we just sort of stopped doing that. This is the way more and more people communicate, and so it's the way I'm going to communicate. So at Jeff Wagner 620, you can follow me on Twitter, and this is – I'm going to be the one that's doing this, so I don't expect the producers. Big Dog, you do not have to do this. This is all going to be on me, Um, and what we'll try to do is give you updates on some of the interesting issues and the things we're going to talk about on the program. If you were already following me on Twitter, you got a head start on what our three big things for the day is, plus a couple of the other things that we're going to be discussing, and I, I think we might sneak in some personal stuff as well, but... If you are on Twitter, I am now part of the Twitterverse, and you can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. And we'll see. Now, this is actually somebody was saying today, well, okay, I see you're putting out all these different tweets. We'll see how long this lasts. It will last. I am committed. I am the chicken in the pot. I am committed to making this whole thing work. So you can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. All right. A lot of ground to cover on today's program. We start off today's show like we start off every show with three big things. The overriding story is, of course, what is going on in Houston and the entire South Texas area. Now, we've talked about variations of this before. Um, Candidly, I think if it had been me, I would have evacuated. I wouldn't have needed the government to tell me to evacuate. I would have been out of there. But I understand there's a lot of people who just make the decision to ride this out. Sometimes the forecasters end up being wrong. I also understand that there's a lot of people who, frankly, just don't have anywhere to go, and they cannot get out. But this devastation is just absolutely incredible. It is mind-boggling, and the scary thing is, as Gene Miller and I were just talking about, it doesn't look like it's really going to end anytime soon. Um, you've got the reports that it's going to rain in Houston through tomorrow evening, and then and only then is it going to stop, and then the water might start to recede. But this is the type of situation that not only is it not going to solve itself today, I mean, the devastation, the impact is going to go on for days, weeks, months, probably years. I mean, there are parts of Louisiana that still have not recovered from Hurricane Katrina, and I think you're going to be talking about the same thing, unfortunately, with Houston. By the way, an observation. One of the things that the Houston police chief is worried about is looting. Apparently, there are a number of people who have decided that what When somebody else is faced with extreme adversity, their recourse is to go and try to take advantage of that. And the Houston police chief is already giving these warnings, saying, we are very concerned that especially as the floodwater starts to recede, um, people have left their homes, um, higher ground, sheltering with friends, whatever. They're very, very concerned that bands of looters are going to move in and see this as a target of opportunity. Um, There is a special place in you-know-where 
for people who decide that they want to go and they want to loot under circumstances like this. My other comment, and I this I don't mean this to be flip about a very very dangerous situation, is this is Texas, and people carry guns. And I, I will be interested to see how many stories we have of looters who go into per certain homes, perhaps thinking that the homes are vacant, thinking that they're going to be easy pickings, and they come upon people who are sheltering in those homes. Don't be surprised if you see some of those stories that are out there. All right, but here is one of the issues that I think we are going to be facing as taxpayers over the course of, oh, the next few weeks, months, and maybe years. And that is the whole concept of insurance. The way, the way it typically works, typically, is if you have homeowner's insurance, like if you're a homeowner, you probably have homeowner's insurance. As a general rule, your homeowner's insurance will cover you as a general rule. Sometimes you need a special, like, rider or something like that. But it will provide coverage for sewer backup. So many, many people who had the sewer backup, say, over the last five or six years, remember back in 2010 when we had the huge rainstorm here? If your sewer backed up, if you had homeowner's insurance, um, you probably had some, some coverage. Some policies exempted, but at least it's available. Homeowner's insurance does not, as a general rule, cover damage caused by floods. The difference being the sewer backup is one thing, but floods the raging waters from the outside. If you want to be protected from floods, what you need to do is you need to buy a special separate flood insurance policy that's underwritten by the federal government. I actually did that after 2010. I don't live in a floodplain, but I was sitting there thinking, okay, well, you know, it's just, I don't think this is going to happen, but it's a few hundred dollars a month to protect my house. I'm going to go ahead and, and do that. Thankfully, I've never had to file a claim. Most people around here probably don't. But if it's a flood, you have to have special insurance for this. And the cost of the insurance varies a bit depending on where you are. Well, in Houston, I'm looking at one of these stories, um, they estimate that only a small fraction of homeowners in this area of Texas have flood insurance. This means that families with flooded basements, soaked furniture, water-damaged walls, and all that are more than likely going to have to reach into their own pockets to, you know, fix up their homes. And as a result, um, a lot of people might even be in situations where they're, they're not financially able to repair the damage and they're going to just have to sell or abandon or, or leave. Um, they estimate um, that only two out of every 10 homeowners have flood insurance coverage. So, I mean, imagine if all of a sudden you had a home that's worth $200,000 and you've sustained massive damage. The basement's flooded, all the mechanicals, the you know the air conditioning unit, I assume they still have furnaces, That's um, or if there's not a basement in the house, the first floor is flooded, you've got all that incredible water damage, you've got the mold, all that stuff. And at least if these estimates are true, about 80% of the people are not going to have insurance to cover the costs. So now the question becomes, what should be done? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is where I want to start off the show. 
Should the federal government, should the taxpayers be bailing out homeowners in South Texas who don't have flood insurance? Now, obviously, FEMA is going to be in there. FEMA will be providing some relief to people, but that's only that's not going to cover the cost of rebuilding a house. That's not going to cover the cost of you know, doing what you need to do to retrofit homes that are flooded. The people don't have the insurance. They're pretty much out of luck unless we do something special to help them. So 414-799-1620, do we bail out, no pun intended, believe me, do we assist people in Houston um, giving them money to help rebuild or repair their homes if they don't have flood insurance? How would you handle this? I'll tell you where I come down and we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 845, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 839, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, big story number one, the fallout from Hurricane Harvey. Um, Once things normalize, people are going to be looking at catastrophic property loss. And I understand property is just stuff, but when it's your stuff, it is a big deal. The estimates are 80% of the people in the affected area do not have the federal flood insurance. And as a result... In all likelihood, there's going to be little or no insurance coverage. Now, what you can do is you can apply for federal disaster relief, which might qualify you, might qualify you for low interest loans. But those are loans that they have to be paid back. So it's so if you all of a sudden have, I don't know, $150,000 worth of damage to a $180,000 house, you can take out a, a low interest loan. But you're still ultimately going to have to come out with come up with one hundred and fifty thousand dollars and pay it back over time. So the question becomes, should we be bailing people out? And I hate to sound like some hard hearted guy here, but I think the answer, unfortunately, has to be no. When you make a decision, part of the problem, the federal flood insurance program right now is twenty three billion dollars in the hole. And it's already being subsidized by federal by by federal money. And that's because when you have these catastrophes like the Hurricane Sandy or Hurricane Katrina and when they end up hitting, there's huge payouts that that get made on these things because the loss is very catastrophic. My heart goes out to the people that are affected by this. But part of the reality is when you make a decision to live in these areas whether it's the Gulf Coast, whether it's Florida, or whether it's the Gulf close to the Gulf in Louisiana, or low-lying areas in Texas, when you make the decision to live there, you understand, I think, that one of the risks that you are going to have to take is that there might be, you, you might get hit with a hurricane. And so you have to, just like you make that decision before you get behind the wheel of an automobile, most people do, that you're going to have insurance for this. I think that's one of the decisions that are made. So, I mean, I appreciate this idea that it's going to be horrible for people. And clearly, you know, federal disaster funds making that available. But the idea that the taxpayers could somehow underwrite this and try to make people whole, I unfortunately think is a non-starter on our text line. Uh, let's see. No bailout. We paid hurricane, flood, wind insurance. We left South Carolina partly for the expense of insuring east of U.S. 17. Right. This is this is this issue 
which because we have not had a hurricane, you know, make full landfall in heavily populated areas, and what Florida hasn't won, had one in 10 or 12 years, people kind of forget the impact that this can possibly have. But if you're going to make one of those decisions, I understand why people, believe me, I understand why people want to live near coastal areas and things like that, but this is one of the risks that you end up taking. And just as a practical matter, I just don't see how, I mean, the federal government can make people whole for what is going to be the damage. Again, you make low interest loans available. You do everything you can to help people. But if you don't have flood insurance, and flood insurance has its limits too. It only covers, I think, $250,000, which um, for, for people that have larger homes, imagine if you've got a home that's worth three hundred grand. um at least that $250,000 will get you a head start on it. But the truth of the matter is, this it is, an, it is a decision that people make with regard to lifestyle. And this is, of course, one of the consequences of one of the horrible things that you hope never can, will happen. But in this case, it unfortunately has happened. And from the perspective of the federal government and us federal taxpayers, you want to do everything you possibly can to make sure people are safe. But the idea of building, rebuilding, or the taxpayers paying to rebuild, you know, private structures because people made the decision not to carry flood insurance, I think it is unfortunately, again, just a non-starter. And it is something I think that people need to consider, you know, when you're making these kind of lifestyle decisions. I suspect that there's lots of people out there who are saying, you know, when I retire, I'd like to get out of the Wisconsin winter and I, I, I'd love to go live in South Texas or I, I'd love to, you know, go live in Key West or I'd love to go live, you know, wherever. But the truth of the matter is, um, that is one of the factors that you're going to see. Chuck in Manitowoc. Chuck, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm glad I'm not living in Houston right now. My heart goes out to these people. You and me both. Uh, the one question I have on this is, without the bailouts, what happens to these people when they start defaulting on their mortgages? Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to have a, it, you, you're, you're going to be looking at a financial crisis because that's exactly. didn't we just bail out the banks a couple years ago? Well, I mean, hopefully. You know, hopefully, and I say hopefully, that puts this in quotation marks, you know, hopefully the, the banks have done a decent enough job of spreading out the risk. And for lots of, see, some of Houston that, that's in a certain area, my understanding is you have to have flood insurance as a condition of getting a loan. But you're, you're right. There's going to be a lot. There's going to be over a million homes. I'm looking at these numbers. Over a million properties that they think are uninsured. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, thanks for calling. You're 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 right. That that is the spinoff. It's not just the personal effect of you know what what happens to the people, but imagine that person who can't afford to you can't afford to rebuild your home. You come back, you've got a house that's worth two hundred twenty five thousand dollars. You have no insurance, no flood insurance. Um, you're looking at almost a total loss because the thing is completely and totally underwater. So structurally, you've got these issues. Uh, you're looking at almost a total loss. You don't have the money to repair this, even if you take out one of these low interest sort of loans because you're already making your mortgage payments. What's going to happen? People are going to walk away, and it is going to have a follow up crisis because then what do the banks do? Because now the banks have these properties that essentially are unsafe, unfit for people to live in unless you retrofit them. Um, this this is going to be a mess, and it's going to be a mess even after the water recedes. This is something that I think is going to be a problem for a lot of different reasons with all the different spinoffs that you're going to have. This is going to be a problem for 5, 10, 15, 
20 years. It's 855. This is Jeff Wagner. By the way, you can now follow me on Twitter. Be reminding people that all day today. I'm on Twitter. Jeff, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. So check out the Twitter feeds. Big story number two is coming up. It's 856. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big thing number two coming up. Now, this pales in comparison to what is going on in Houston and what is going on in North Korea. It's ultimately a first world problem, but it is why people hate lawyers. If you were watching the awful pay-per-view on Saturday night, if you paid $99 to watch uh, Floyd Mayweather fight this mixed martial artist, Chances are you didn't even get to see it because they had huge problems with lots of the pay-per-views. There's now been a class action lawsuit filed. The lawyers want $5 million per person for everyone who didn't see the fight. We discuss that next. Needless to say, this is why people hate lawyers. Stick around. It's 859. It's 908. Jeff Ratner, 620 WTMJ. Sometimes in life, stuff just happens. Sometimes stuff just doesn't work out right, and not everything is a federal lawsuit. Yesterday, I told you about the story. And matter of fact, if you are now one of my new Twitter followers, I'm up on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620. I sent out a link to th- this case yesterday, but we mentioned it on the program. Um, you will remember a number of years ago, there's this kid in Australia that takes a picture of his Subway foot-long sandwich. And it turns out, if you measure it, it's only like 11 and a half inches because when you bake, all the bread starts out at the same size. But when you put bread in an oven, it, it just all bakes differently. So sometimes it, it won't be a foot long. Sometimes it'll be 11 and a half inches. But um, so, and I think most people realize this, but you have these vultures of class action lawyers who decide, hey, Subway is defrauding people because they're saying it's a foot long. And so they file this lawsuit. It ends up being treated as a class action lawsuit here in Milwaukee by the very liberal federal judge, Lynn Edelman, who signs off on a settlement. And essentially, the settlement does nothing for customers of Subway, nothing at, at all. But it pays the lawyers $525,000. And a decision um, reached by the U.S. Court of Appeals, written by Judge Diane Sykes on Friday, they throw out the settlement. They say, look, this is, this is, not, this is not how lawsuits should be brought. For these vulture lawyers, my term, not hers, for these lawyers who bring these lawsuits – and then settle, and the only people that really benefit from them are, it's not the class members, the only people that benefit are the lawyers who make a bunch of money, we're not going to be a party to this. And they throw the the whole thing out. So um, you you have these class action lawyers that are upset with this. But there's too many lawyers chasing too few cases. And I I appreciate that there are times where you want to have, you need what we call these class action lawsuits, where you have a big company, and puts out a bad product, but individual damages are small. You know, one person you know can't sue because they've lost twenty-five or fifty bucks. You need everybody to sue to kind of pressure the, the, the a settlement. But that leads to all these frivolous lawsuits. Well, on Saturday night, and we talked about this at the end of last week, there was the pay-per-view event of the decade. I say in quotation marks, and this is big story number two. It was the boxing match between. Floyd Mayweather and this mixed martial artist guide, Conor McGregor, and very, very hyped. 
um, they sold a lot of pay-per-view things. People were paying $99 a piece to watch this kind of spectacle on on pay-per-view. And it was through Showtime pay-per-view. So if you have Showtime at home and you've got Spectrum Cable or you've got DirecTV, you could have ordered it. You could also, there's different services that you could have live streamed this through. But the cost was 99 bucks. All right, um, what happened on Saturday night was for a variety of reasons. Uh, the, the pay, they had problems with the pay-per-view. Serious outages throughout the event. Matter of fact, the actual ma- that the headline fight between Mayweather and McGregor actually had to be delayed so that issues could be dealt with before the fight began. But there was a whole undercard, you know, all these different matches, and apparently some people who were trying to access it through the computer, they tried to log in, they couldn't get on. There were interruptions. There, there were just there were problems for a variety of reasons. All right. So what Showtime says is, look, if you weren't able to see this, if there were problems, what we're going to do is we're going to refund your money. We're really sorry that this happened, but, you know, you're eligible for a refund. Obviously, if you couldn't see it or it was disrupted, we'll, we'll give you your $99 back. That is not good enough for some people. There have been a series already of class action lawsuits. One was filed in Oregon against Showtime by customers who said, well, we, we, we couldn't we couldn't see this. Um, this lawsuit asks for, I hope you're sitting down, $5 million per customer for everyone who, for whatever reasons, there was a problem with the live streaming so you couldn't see it. $5 million. That's a lawsuit in Oregon. Not to be outdone, Another lawyers, another series of lawyers filed another lawsuit in another state. Again, the same sort of thing. Um, this was in um, actually in New York, so the other part of the country. Uh, Showtime intentionally misrepresented the quality and grade of video consumers would see. They filed a class action lawsuit seeking to represent everybody. And who knows how many thousands or tens of thousands of people bought this and ultimately had the thing disrupted. Um, so these lawyers in New York are seeking to represent, again, everybody who might have gotten had problems with the pay-per-view. And the demand there is $5 million per customer. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand if you're looking forward to seeing something and all of a sudden you can't watch it because, I don't know, the power goes out or, I don't know, there's a problem with the feed or things like that, I understand why you would be bummed out. And if you paid for something, like a pay-per-view event, and suddenly you can't watch the pay-per-view event, I understand why you would be upset, and I understand why you would want your money back. But these lawsuits that are seeking $5 million, 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, what do you think people are entitled to if they bought this pay-per-view and they didn't get a chance to see it because there were technical difficulties. What do you think is the right thing to have happen? 414-799-1620. This is big story number two. Admittedly, a first world problem. I will tell you how I think this should be resolved. But I'm curious as to what you think. And if you did happen to be one of the people who bought this pay-per-view and weren't able to log on or had it disrupted, um, I mean, what, what do you think Showtime 
or the cable operator owes you. 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this next. It's 915. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 917. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Let me be clear on this. Um, I, I am proud of the fact that I am a recovering attorney. I'm licensed to practice law. But it is stories like this that make me embarrassed for this profession. You know, there there are people, there is a reason why we have a court system. But part of the problem with the court system is it ends up getting clogged up by lawyers because there's too many lawyers chasing too few good cases. Now, in this story, in my opinion, people filing this lawsuit are just vultures, pure and simple. You order the pay-per-view of the fight. Something happens, technical glitches. You don't get to see it or it's interrupted or whatever. Are you entitled to your money back? Absolutely. As a gesture of goodwill, if I was the cable company or Showtime or whatever, you know, maybe I'd give people a coupon for, you know, a discount, you know, $15 off the next pay-per-view or something like that. But I don't think people are entitled actually to anything other than their money back. My producer, Big Dog, saying, hey, he was watching the, wanted to watch the Game of Thrones finale. I've never seen the Game of Thrones. Because I'm, I'm actually, I'm reading the books, and so I don't want to watch the thing until after I, I finish reading the books. But he said, it, because of technical difficulties, presumably so many people wanting to watch it, he had to wait 15 minutes before he could download it on his HBO Go thing. He's saying, should I be able to sue? Well, no, no. You're entitled, in his case, he got the money back. So in this case, he got to watch it. You know, in the case of the people who might not have been able to watch the fight, of course you're entitled to your money back. But seriously, lawsuits, $5 million damage claims, give me a break. Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. I think these people are entitled to a refund and maybe like a free pay-per-view movie, but that's it. Asking for that amount is insane. Well, it it, it is, and it's 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 insulting. As a matter of fact, you know, it, it, this idea that I mean, five million dollars because you couldn't see the fight, two hundred dollars because you couldn't see the fight is insulting. I'm sorry, you didn't get to see it, but stuff like that happens. There's technical problems. Power goes out to the stadium, so you can't see, you know, some of the plays at the Super Bowl. Do, do you file a lawsuit? No. I mean, what you realize is it's just life. You live with it. Yeah, and stuff like that, all it does is just raise the price for regular viewers who don't want to take advantage. No, right. Th- thanks for calling. Well, exactly. Because, here, right, here. well, here's the thing. I mean, let us assume for the sake of argument. Now, Showtime's not going to pay $5 million. But let's assume for the sake of argument that Showtime decides to um, enter into some sort of settlement that pays the plaintiff's lawyers because that's that's who makes the money in these type of lawsuits. It's the people, the lawyers who are bringing the lawsuits. So Showtime enters into some sort of agreement to do what I think they should do anyhow. We're, we're going to give you know gift certificates out or whatever you know for the, the next pay per view. I mean, who ends up paying for that? Well, ultimately, that gets passed on to all the people who are subscribers to Showtime or subscribers to the cable networks, depending on how this gets uh, gets paid. Let's see. Justin texts us. Despite the hype, this situation deserves the same remedy as when a major entertainer has to cancel a performance. Refunds and no lawsuits. Yeah. What 
you buy the ticket to see the show, and for whatever reason, the performer ends up canceling. Maybe the performer, okay, isn't feeling well. Maybe there's a crisis in the performer's, I don't know, personal life. you got to go back because you got a sick kid or your spouse is sick or whatever. So you end up canceling the show. Well, all right, people are entitled to refunds. No question about it. But this idea that you're going to be able to sue, I mean, you know, give me a break. 414-799-1620. Jim in McGuanago. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. Um, you know, several years ago, there was a, not a season finale, a series finale on NBC, and there was severe weather in the area, and John Milan took up the whole hour. <laughs> right. Okay, am I entitled to sue because they never re-ran that series finale? Yeah, you, you, right, you weren't able to see the series finale, series finale in real time, or what about when the TV stations put that, that annoying crawl across the bottom so they occupy like a quarter of the TV screen? Should we be able to sue for that? Yeah. Now this, now thanks, this is why this is exhibit A as to why people hate lawyers. And I hate doing topics like this because, as I was saying earlier, there is a role for class action lawsuits. Because what happens sometimes is you have these big manufacturers who put out a defective product, but the individual damages, the damages to any one consumer, are, are small. Maybe it's $100, maybe it's $200. Well, if you've only been damaged by for $200, you can't really hire a lawyer and go sue the person. You know, it's going to cost you $10,000, $20,000, whatever, to sue over a couple hundred. So that's why you have these class action lawsuits. It allows you to take thousands and thousands of people who have like a hundred dollars of damage combine them all together so they can afford to hire a lawyer essentially to go after and get redress the problem is you've got some of these vultures and bottom feeders who take advantage of that and so whether it's gee you know subway's bread when you put it in the oven it bakes down to 11 and three quarters inches so people are defrauded when it's a foot long or gee you had a disruption in the pay-per-view event so let's sue for five million that's why people hate lawyers i get it and it's why the legal profession needs to do a better job of policing the frivolous lawsuits that end up getting threatened and filed and it's why candidly decisions like the one that came out last week by the seventh circuit where they kind of you know went upside the head figuratively speaking of these lawyers who decided that they were going to be the ones that make the money, That that's good. We need to rein in this type of thing. Big thing number three is coming up. What do you do about the problem of North Korea? That crazy dictator is at it again. Stick around. It's 923. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Believe it or not, the infamous lawsuit over a Subway sandwich that failed to live up to its foot-long promotion has just been resolved. What lessons was taught to us by the drawn-out legal process over a matter of inches? Scafidi and Billstat have the answer. 1235 today. As I was just saying, the answer is too damn many lawyers chasing too few decent cases. Lawyers who are closer to vultures looking for paydays. That's what the lesson of that is. All right, big story number three, and this is a scary one, and I wish I had a better answer for it. Um, North Korea continues its provocative behavior. Yet, um, 
yesterday, earlier today, North Korea fired a mid-range ballistic missile over Japan. Over Japan. Um, According to South Korea, North Korea has twice fired rockets. It said we're carrying satellites over Japan, uh, most recently in 2009. This is the first time it has fired a ballistic missile over Japan. Uh, The Japanese government understandably freaked out. Apparently they told residents in several of their of, of the area, several like of their city states in northern regions of Japan were told to take cover. Um, there's going to be an emergency session of the U.N. Security Council. Um, Trump, of course, saying the United President Trump saying the United States stands by Japan 100 percent. Um, I think everybody is describing this test as an unprecedented grave threat. Um, and now something ends up having to be done. Because, again, this is a situation, you're not firing just the missile into the Sea of Japan. You're firing one of these ballistic missiles over Japan. It is only but for the grace of God that the thing didn't land somewhere in Japan and then plunge us firmly into World War Three. 414-799-1620. We have tried and tried and tried. Various diplomatic ways to resolve this problem with North Korea, and none of them appear to be working. Now, for the first time, you've got China and Russia, who are apparently on board with additional economic sanctions against North Korea, and that is a very good thing. Unfortunately, these economic sanctions are apparently not deterring you know, people in North Korea, or at least the North Korean government, from continuing to do this. Um, this latest launch comes just a couple days after North Korea fired three short-range ballistic missiles into the sea, and a month after its second flight test of an intercontinental ballistic missile, which analysts say could reach deep into the U.S. mainland. All right. We haven't, obviously, I don't think, gotten to the point where you're talking about military intervention, but if, 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 if North Korea continues to do this, as much as I hate to say this, I think this is a matter where you, you've got to go, and the U.S. shouldn't have to go this alone, but if, the US, if North Korea continues to shoot missiles over South Korea or over Japan, that, that can't be allowed to stand. And whether it's taken out airports or trying to take out, uh, again, the areas where they're shooting off these missiles from, I, I think that becomes essentially your only option. You cannot allow this crazed dictator to start launching weapons and firing missiles over our allies. 414-799-1620. What do you do about the problem of North Korea? That is big story number three. I think you continue with economic sanctions, but if they don't go anywhere and one of these things lands in Japan, for example, or on South Korea, or on Guam, at that point in time, you're going to have no choice but to, again, 
I think, start military action. 414-799-1620. What do you do about the problem of North Korea? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Right now, though, it's 930. Here's Jane Matinair from the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Thank you, Jeff. A fire official says 11 people were rescued from fast-moving floodwaters northwest of Houston after a private rescue boat capsized. A volunteer fire department spokesman says the people who fell out hung onto trees to avoid being carried away by the strong current. The people were being evacuated from a flooded subdivision when that boat capsized. Insurance experts say just a small percentage of homeowners in Harvey path have flood insurance that means family with damage caused by the flooding will have to come up with their own recovery costs the consumer federation of america expects flood damage alone to cost at least 35 billion dollars a man in black river falls facing his eighth drunk driving offense this one while operating on a motorized bike the jackson county sheriff's office says the 52 year old spotted weaving between lanes of traffic on his bike last saturday night he was out on bond from his seventh drunk driving arrest in May. Time for the WTMJ Drake and Associates market update at this Dow at this hour. The uh, markets are all down across the board. The Dow down 45 at 21,762. The Nasdaq down 12 at 6270. The S&P is down 7 at 2437. The WTMJ Pella WI.com time saver traffic. 94 inbound Highway 16 to the zoo, 11 minutes from the zoo to the Marquette 7. 4145 southbound Highway Q to the zoo is a 14-minute trip. From Good Hope to the zoo will take you 10. 43 inbound Brown Deer to the Marquette, a 12-minute ride. And 94 inbound Layton to the Marquette, 7 minutes. Traffic is sponsored by Milwaukee County Zoo's Senior Celebration. Join your friends at the zoo for the Milwaukee County Zoo's Senior Celebration, sponsored by St. Camillus, a life plan community, on Friday, September 1st from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Visit MilwaukeeZoo.org for more. The WTMJ five-day forecast, partly cloudy with an isolated shower or thunderstorm possible today. High of 75. Tonight, partly cloudy with patchy fog. Low 60 lakeside, 55 inland. Tomorrow, sunny and warm. Could see showers and thunderstorms by nightfall. High tomorrow of 80. A chance of morning showers Thursday, then mostly sunny, 70 for the high. Sunshine and 72 on Friday. Saturday, partly cloudy. Could see storms late Saturday with a high of 80. In Kenosha, it's 70. Shorewood, 65. In Milwaukee, we're at 65 degrees. I'm Jane Matinair, News Radio 620, WTMJ. And I'm Jeff Wagner. Coming up next, we continue the conversation. North Korea now lobbing missiles over Japan. Is it time for a military solution? Stick around. Hi, this is Doug Russell. It's back to school season, and if you put off going to the dentist all summer, you really should get yourself and your family in for a good back-to-school teeth cleaning. I know what you're saying. That's not really a thing. But why shouldn't it be? A new school year means a clean slate and putting your best foot forward. And nothing says best foot forward than a fresh smile. And I've got the guy for you. He's my new dentist, and I can't recommend him enough. He's Dr. James Michaels in Oconomowoc. Dr. Michaels is on the forefront of advances in dentistry and new technologies. His staff are all top shelf, so nice, passionate, and caring. If you want to zone out during your cleaning, they'll give you headphones. You might not even realize you're at the dentist in the first place. The office is fantastic, comfortable, and welcoming. Dr. Michaels and his team are trustworthy professionals who will take great care of you and your entire family. So give Dr. Michaels' office a call today at 262-567-7224 or go online to drmichaelsdentalcare.com. That's drmichaelsdentalcare.com. I remember the most painful things about having to do a new roof. I'll spend a lot of money, it won't change the look of my house much, and it isn't going to last. So my family would end up with little, if any, added value. 
kind of like paying for a root canal or a speeding ticket. We have another choice today. Homeowners like us have the opportunity to get a guaranteed lifetime roof that does add real equity value to your home and gives your home that eye-popping transformation that makes people say things like, Wow, I've never really noticed that house before, and it's gorgeous. With a permanent roof from Metal Roofing Systems, your hard-earned money won't be wasted on a temporary lackluster solution. And in 20 years, your beautiful roof will look like it was installed yesterday. Permanent metal roofing isn't right for everyone, but if you want to see the transformation a permanent roof would make to your home, look at our before and after gallery at BeautifulRoofs.com. And we're always here to answer questions about your new roof. Call Kerry today, 855-678-ROOF. And remember, BeautifulRoofs.com. Thank you. It's 9.35, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. What happened, you know, earlier today um, in North Korea, very, very scary. North Korea lobs a ballistic missile not into the sea, but over Japan, over Japan, causing the Japanese government to warn people that live in certain provinces that you've got to take cover. This is a, a huge escalation of tensions with the world. Obviously, you want to consider economic sanctions, but are, are we getting to a point where, well, President Trump says all options are on the table. Are we getting to a point where we, we just have to use military options to take out this capability of this madman to send ballistic missiles across the world? And my answer is, yeah, I don't think we should go it alone, but this is what the U.N. this is what the U.N. is for. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dave in Appleton. Dave, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. I, I don't think we should do preemptive strikes against their airfields, but we should station everything we've got, you know, at the uh, 12, whatever the international border is, 12 miles out, and shoot down anything and just tell them, we're going to shoot down anything bigger than a Cessna that takes off from North Korea. Uh, you, no, you're not talking about shooting down passenger planes or anything like no, that, no, though. Right? Right. Shooting down missiles. Any missiles. Yeah. Any missiles that are, I mean, give the boys uh, some live fire opportunity with the Patriot missile system or all this new secret stuff that we supposedly have that can take out these missiles. Let's find out if it works. Well, that, you know, I am, that is one of the big curiosities I have is, you know, how how good is our missile defense system? You know, are we. Would we really be able to do that? You know, and because um, you're right. I mean, I I can easily see, you know, one of these missiles, especially since they never know where these things are going. I could easily see one undershooting its target and landing in Japan and you know blowing up a province or something like that. And then then we really are off to the races with World War Three. Well, it doesn't even have to be a nuclear weapon. Right. It can just just be yeah. junk falling out of the sky. Yeah. No, it's no. Thank. I mean, there's there's this. This latest action has to be met with some sort of response. And look, I I don't I, I don't like to advocate military use. I, I I'm the guy that's always said if you're going to get involved in a military situation, you have to clearly know what the idea of victory is, and you have to have an exit strategy. And I'm not saying the world goes to war with North Korea, but this is a worldwide problem, and this is one where the UN Security Council needs to be really drawing a line in the sand and saying we're not going to cross it because 
you know, it it is it is scary. What if this lunatic sends that missile towards Guam? Now, I, I've been arguing all along that his, his self-preservation instincts would stop him from doing that because he has to realize that if you get into a shooting war with the rest of the world, you're going to end up losing. But yet, every time I think that, I think that cooler heads are going to prevail, I see a story about sending a ballistic missile over Japan, for God's sake. Let's talk to um, Dan in Port Washington. Dan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Jeff. Uh, thank you. Yes, sir. Thanks. Um, what I would think would be a send a more uh, poignant message is we have this bad system, thermal high-altitude area defense. What I would do with the next one that shot off, and please, nobody announced it like the previous administration right. kept announcing everything, take that thing down. It did arrive about 750 miles from the island. I would test out the THAAD system and uh, take it out in the ocean area so that it would it would explode, then, you know, it would be far enough away from the island. I would test out the THAAD, and if it blew up successfully, then make the message. Um, we, have, we have you now in our sights. We can take this down, and we can take you down. Will you please stop clowning around? Right, yes, yes. Now, we right. need to take that step. If we don't show them we can stop the provocation, he's going to continue to do it. And the other thing is buy gold. I've been saying this for years. People look at me at gold, but <laughs> buy it. It's insurance. Oh, by the way, in 5,000 years, no king, queen, or government's been able, able to destroy it. And in this period of time, actually, gold is up a lot more than the market this year. Now, see, Dan, I was now see, I, I was I was with you until you went off on the gold bug thing and and buying buying gold and all. But I will tell you, I mean, the market's down today. You know, part of that part and, and look, the, the stock market is affected by things beyond just you know how companies are doing. And you know, and you've got this North Korea thing is. Effect, I think that's probably one of the things that's driving the market a little bit lower. Obviously, everything that's going on in um, you know South Texas with the economic costs that this is going to have and what that's going to mean for banks and insurance companies, that's one of the things, too. But, I mean, this, this worldwide unease is a factor as well. Let's see. Kyle says, um, I, I really feel like we've gotten to a point where a show of force is necessary. I, I don't know that we're quite there yet and i mean i'm i'm not calling for airstrikes but this is something that i i think it is an international problem and it's why you have the united nations and america needs to be a leader um the united states should not be in a position of having to go this alone because again um you know J- japan has a number of allies for example south korea has a number of allies and if you've got a madman who is sending off these missiles well he, he's Maybe it's one of these situations where force is the only thing that he will understand. And I keep hoping, 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 hoping that, that China will come along with this. Now, China has already said that if if North Korea is the aggressor and there is some sort of retaliation, they're, they're not going to come into any conflict on the side of North Korea. Hopefully that's where it goes. But you, this is it is a major threat to world peace. And every time you think that the thing has kind of simmered down, it bubbles over again because you have this provocative dictator. And unfortunately, I think as long as this guy is running North Korea, you are going to have that happening. So the sooner he's gone, however that happens, I think the better for the world. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes. I tweeted this out, by the way, just tuning in. 
I'm now on the Twitterverse. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. Tweeted this story out a little bit earlier. It caught my attention when we were broadcasting it on the morning news and Channel 4 was running it last night. If you are selling a car, it is seller beware. We're going to talk about it. Stick around. It's 942. This is Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ. Nine forty six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. What does the Packers defense have to do to make this team a Super Bowl favorite? Packers Radio Network studio host Dennis Krause is a guest of Wayne Larrabee in his latest edition of the Play by Play podcast. It's up now on WTMJ Mobile, presented by your local Chevy dealer. When you go to our mobile app page, our podcast page at WTMJ.com. You know, check out all the podcasts of the shows, and you can hear some voices from people who don't appear regularly on the radio, but you can also download this podcast, and I know a lot of people do it, so if you haven't, don't have a chance to hear the entire show, we podcast it, so I know a lot of people do that time-sharing thing, because I hear about it, the time-shifting thing, where I can't listen to the whole show, but I, I I download the podcast. You can get notifications when the new ones are up. We do this every day. And take me anywhere, anytime. That's what I'm here for. All right. Let us let us switch gears. This, this story caught my attention because it demonstrates, well, again, some of the good and the bad stuff that goes on on the Internet. It used to be that if you were selling a car, how, how would you sell the car? Well, maybe you'd put the car out in your driveway with a for sale sign on it. But more likely, you would take out a classified ad, say, in the newspaper, um, saying, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, looking to sell, I'm looking to sell my car. Nowadays, almost nobody takes out classified ads in the newspaper. And when's the, you know, BD, who's the producing the show today, have you ever looked at the newspaper classified ads? Have you ever in your entire life? Not since you were little. So long, long time. No, no, I mean, no offense to people who sell classified ads for the newspaper, but you know, nobody that's not how that's not how you find apartments anymore. That's not how you buy stuff anymore. If you're going to sell a car, you're going to use chances are something on, on the internet. Um and, and Craigslist is a common way of doing that. So here's the story. Guy in Glendale. He, he's got a story, he's got a car to sell. As a matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620, I sent out a link to this particular story. But here's what's happening. Um, the guy the guy puts an ad, he's trying to sell, uh, he's trying to sell a car, he's trying to sell a Cadillac. So um, he, he puts an ad up on Twitter. So what happens is he's, he's out cutting his grass, this is in Glendale, gets a text from a potential buyer. Guy says, hey, can I have your address? Man says, sure. So he shows up. So man shows up, um, described as soft-spoken and polite. Um, now, the vehicle that was being sold was his Cadillac. But the guy who shows up sees that there's a 2005 Nissan in the driveway, and it's also for sale. And so the guy who shows up says, hey, actually, rad in this Cadillac, I, I like this one. You know, can I, I'm interested in this. Um, can I take it for a test drive? To which the... To which the car owner says, "Well, well, sure." So um, the man starts the car with a remote start from from the, the so the car owner he's got that remote starter. So he says, "Sit in the car here. I'll start it." So he doesn't actually give him the keys. The potential buyer gets in the car, 
And then what happens is when the owner is going to like get in the seat next to him to go on the test drive, the thief now um, locks the door and then takes off. Um, just He says he reverses it fast. He backs up the car. Um, he almost tries to run me down. Ultimately, the seller jumps out of the way, and the guy takes off onto the road. So you have this character who shows up and just, again, gets the keys and, and drives off. Now, the Glendale police are saying this happens all the time. And that if you're considering doing something like this, if you're making an online sale, um, don't do it at your house. Go to a place like the police department. Um, at the Glendale Police Department, they posted signs about a year and a half ago um, for an Internet purchase exchange locations. And the, the police are saying, look, this is, you know, this is so prevalent. This happens so much. That you know you, you shouldn't even sell the cars out of your house. You know, come come to the police station, do this transaction in the parking lot, which isn't going to guarantee that the car is not going to get stolen necessarily, but might deter at least some people from doing this. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have been thinking about this story. And again, the way it always used to be You'd put the ad in the paper, or even you'd put the ad up on Craigslist. Somebody would call you or text you or whatever. They'd come over to the house. You'd get some ID from them. They'd go take the car on a test drive. They'd bring it back. You'd make a deal, or you wouldn't make a deal. I think, you know, having thought about this, I don't think there is any way in the world that if I was... You know, trying to sell one of my cars in the secondary market, there's no way in the world that I would have that person coming over to my house. I, I think it is unfortunate, but I actually think that this is probably the only way to do this. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I understand this is a common transaction. My guess is there's a lot of you, maybe you've tried to, you know, you sell your cars yourself. You don't trade them in. You just kind of sell them on the secondary market. Can you have people coming over to your house anymore, or do you have to do things like this because there's so many car thieves that are out there? I I just wonder how many people are seriously out there buying and how many people are actually just going around trying to figure out some way to steal a car that is for sale. 414-799-1620. After seeing this story and thinking about it, there is no way in the world that I would have somebody at my house. I'd be... I'd be in front of a police station. 414-799-1620. Can you even do transactions like this at your house anymore without fear of being ripped off? I think the answer is pretty clearly no, and that's a sad commentary. We discuss next. If you're on the line, hold on. It's 952. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 955, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Barry in Hartford. Barry, good morning. Hey, Jeff. I'm just a couple things. Um, you're absolutely right. I would go to, to somewhere safe. Um, it's the whole Craigslist thing, too. But uh, my other point is if you have a remote start, the guy's not going to get very far if he gets in your car and, and takes off. It's like having a key fob. And, you know, you have to be in the car with the key fob to actually have the car go anywhere. So no, that's, that's no, you don't. That's a safety measure also. No, no, you don't. I mean, I, I mean, for, I mean, for, like, like, I have, I have key fobs. My understanding is 
that once once I start the car with my key fob, that I, I can leave the car and the car is still going to be running and will keep running till when it till it runs out of gas. That it's not going to be that that I I need the key fob, the what I'm calling the remote starter. You know, I need the key fob to get it started. But once it's started, it has nothing to do with keeping it running. Hmm. No, I'm pretty. I'm pretty. Okay. No, no, th- th- no. I'm pretty sure. As a matter of fact, let me let me just check here. Uh, um, all right. Here, here's NBC News on this. Keyless ignition vehicles completely upend the relationship in most vehicles. Now, this is most. You can exit with the fob, which most drivers believe is the key, and the engine will keep running until it is out of fuel. You need the fob to start the vehicle, but it plays absolutely no role in turning it off. Now, that that's my understanding as to how, for I mean, both my cars, I have two cars now, both of them now have, and I, I'm calling it a remote starter, but I, I, my understanding is, for example, you could sit in my driveway, and as long as I am there, I'm holding the key fob, and my dear friend Jane Matinere is standing next to me, she gets in the car, I'm standing close to the car. She can push the button and start it, or I can use the remote start feature. Once it is started, my understanding, at least, is that you don't need the, the key fob to keep it running. It will just continue to run, um, and then until, again, you not, once you stop it, if you don't have the key fob, it's not going to start again. At least that's my that's how I think my cars work. Not now, of course, I would trust my dear friend Jane not to drive off with the car and, and not bring it back. But at least that's how I understand how it works. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Terry in Slinger. Terry, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hey Jeff, uh, just let me tell you my experience. I bought a car in April, and uh, backing out, I forget something. I leave the car running in the driveway. When I run in the house, if I'm away. I don't know how much time, 30, 45 seconds, it shuts off. If it doesn't sense the fob in the car, it shuts off. Well, see, and maybe that's a safety feature in yours, because remember we've talked about stories where people have have killed have have died because they they park the car in the garage they lower the garage door and then they get out and they forget to shut the car off and it continues to run um so maybe that's a new safety feature and one of the ones that you have could be yeah no thanks for call and again and 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 maybe maybe the remote start is different than than the key fob we're getting some people they're saying that i mean i think what happened in the glendale situation is the guy's in his driveway he's got the the key fob that's there and um they they start the car and then well regardless person drives off and i guess the big picture here without getting too caught up into the technicalities one way or the other the big picture is this is one of these things that's going on now and you know if you're going to be selling your car in the secondary market, what you want to do is you want to make sure that you know you, you know who it is that you're test driving. And I actually I think the Glendale police's advice that you know end up you know going to the the police station or going somewhere where there is this transaction where there's at least some deterrence to stop somebody from ripping you off. Um, that that's that that's a case. Um, so. Uh, who knows where the whole thing ends up going, but you, you got to be mindful of this. Okay, coming up in just a couple minutes, right? there is a theory that is out there as to how Donald Trump could be impeached. Not today, not tomorrow, next year, 
But in 2019, I will share that theory with you. I will explain to you why I think it has some validity, and we will discuss. Stick around. It's 10 o'clock. I'm Jeff Wagner. Jane, before you go anywhere, did, did I hear that news broadcast correctly? The family... The, the husband and wife who've been, like, spending their life touring Cracker Barrels? <laughs> the Yoders, Jeff. <laughs> um, they Before they retired, their job was to drive motorhomes all over the country. Okay. So they would drive these new motorhomes to different dealerships around the country. And they love to eat at Cracker Barrel. So they just... Okay, let me just stop you. They love to eat at Cracker Barrel. Have they, you ever been to a Cracker Barrel? I have. Okay. I don't know if I'd want to go 645 times, but I don't, I don't mind a Cracker Barrel now and then. Now and then, but they they hit their 645th and final Cracker Barrel destination uh, over the weekend in Oregon. It took them 40 years. So what? <laughs> so what's going to happen when when they they like open up three or four new Cracker Barrels? I guess they're back on the road again. Well, they got a reason to live now. See. If it was Waffle Houses, I would get it. See, I know I, I could, I could get, I could try to see trying to visit every Waffle House, but Not Cracker, cracker barrel? Barrels, no, no. no I've, I, I've, I've been in a handful of Cracker Barrels. I, I wouldn't. If I was really, really hungry or had to pee, I could see maybe <laughs> stopping by on the roadway. Would I be driving to Oregon? No, but I guess everybody needs stuff to do. Everybody's got to have a hobby. Um. Okay. Well, that's that's it. As I as I think. Hmm. Looking forward on my life as I'm trying to figure out, okay, you know, if I ever stop doing the radio thing, you know, at some point in time, going to retire, me, new wife, dog. What what could we do, huh? Waffle House tour. <laughs> there you go. Hi, sweetheart. I've been thinking of things that we can do when we stop working. You know, how, how you know, we, we could read, we could play golf. Yeah, we're going to go tour Waffle Houses. Hmm. Shoot for the stars, Jeff. Shoot it's for the a, stars. Maybe I should I should probably share that before we get married to give her an out. Text <laughs> That's her that kind one. of it. Yeah. Hi, honey. I was thinking about this. If you want to call this thing off, how how about we <laughs> Waffle Houses? We don't have forty five years left, so we're going to have to do it quickly, more quickly. You ever been to Waffle House? I don't think so. Um, they're they're um, they are they are experiences. I was at uh, I was in Canton, Ohio, for the Brett Favre thing, and right next to the hotel we were staying was, was a Waffle House. It was me. And it was my best friend and his twenty-some-year-old kid. Yeah, and he had never been to a Waffle House before, so I took him over there. Now he's a Waffle House aficionado. He, you know, it's we're not proud of this, mind you, but it's <laughs> every family has some secrets. Every shame, fa- right, every family. <laughs> so, ch- so check it out. You know, okay, they like the Cracker Barrels. Huh? Touring the Waffle Houses. All right, just just saying. I guess it's I guess it is relatively harmless. All right. Um, this is a fascinating story. Matter of fact, I tweeted out a link to this. This is our big news today. I am now up on Twitter. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner six twenty, and um, we're gonna. I'm going to. I'm actually. I, I people have been pushing me to you know do this, and it's actually it's kind of fun, and it's a way to kind of give you some advance notice of some of the things that we're going to be doing on the program, and maybe we'll sneak in some other stuff as well. Um, President Trump is very, very controversial. There's no question about it. The you know yesterday we had a really interesting conversation. There's there, there's speculation that he might bail on the Republican Party. Um, if you look at it, I mean, President Trump is he he has no hesitation going his, his own way, and clearly he is at war with the Democrats, but he's also at war with a lot of people in the Republican Party. He, he's you know been speaking out openly against, including even people that supported him, like Bob Corker, who's the senator from Tennessee, but John McCain or Jeff Flake or Mitch McConnell or pretty much anybody who gets in his way. So there is some speculation out there saying, you know, is it possible that Trump could would leave the Republican Party. 
there I know that I know that you might not believe polls. And I understand that the fact that pollsters have been getting it wrong when it comes to elections for so long, uh, you know, gives gives people reason to not trust the, the polls. But here's part of the problem. When, when I don't think there's any doubt that maybe the polls don't adequate. Maybe Donald Trump's approval rating isn't 33 percent. Maybe it's actually 36 or 39 or 40 percent or, or whatever. But but there's no question that the presidency is off to a, a rocky start. And, and you just see that by the fact that you're getting almost no Democrat support, no Democratic support. And even among Republican elected officials, there, there's all sorts of battles that are there. And a number of people are saying, look, we think President Trump is unstable. And that is not that is not something that I buy into. Um, other people are calling on you know, President Trump's removal. Let, let's impeach him. Now, that's not going to happen in the next year and a half. And, and here's, here's why. Republicans control the House and the Senate. And unless Donald Trump you know, does something, unless there's some crime that he's committed or something like that, you know, Republicans in Congress and Republicans in Congress are not going to impeach a Republican president absent absent something that I don't see occurring, you know, some evidence that there's really been a crime that's been committed. That dynamic changes, though, if Democrats are in control of Congress. Because if that's the scenario, I guarantee you that impeachment becomes more than just a, a talking point. Then you're going to hear, if, you, if you're not already sick of hearing Russia, 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 you're going to be hearing Russia, Russia, Russia. And you're going to be having a number of people who are going to take what I believe is their political opposition to President Trump and try to turn that into efforts to remove him from office. Now, like I say, that's not going to happen as long as the Republicans control Congress. But in the 2018 midterm elections, you have the Democrats have to pick up, I believe, 25 seats in the House of Representatives to take control. The Democrats have to pick up right now. There's 52 Republicans in the U.S. Senate. So the Democrats have to pick up three seats. Now, the electoral map doesn't really help Democrats because um, twice as many Democrats are up for re-election as are Republicans. But one of the issues, and again, I, I tweeted out the link to this story, um, one, of, one of the issues, maybe even a campaign issue in 2018, is that people are going to be running, particularly Democrats are going to be running, and one of the messages is vote for us, elect us, and we will start impeachment proceedings against President Trump. Like I say, it's never going to happen, in my opinion, as long as you have Republicans in control of Congress. But that changes if Democrats take over after the 2018 elections. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I think that this is going to be a strategy that is going to be used. I think that some people who are running campaigns um, for Congress are going to actually run on a platform that part of it includes let's impeach Trump. Let the Democrats take over, and we're going to impeach him. 
414-799-1620. Is that a winning strategy? Do you think people would be likely to vote for candidates who are running with part of their platform being elect us, we will toss the president out? 414-799-1620. I will tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1017. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1020. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Milwaukee Alderman Bob Donovan says his city is more dangerous now than ever. What is the first thing that the outspoken lawmaker would do to turn things around? Find out when he joins John McCure at 320 during Wisconsin's afternoon news. Okay, we're looking at our crystal ball. But if the Democrats retake control of the House of Representatives, which means Nancy Pelosi becomes Speaker of the House uh, again, God help us, I think that one of the first things on the agenda would be to start impeachment proceedings against Donald Trump. Not going to happen now, but it could very well happen in 2019. I think it is going to be a campaign issue in 2018. Even if he's not ultimately successfully removed from office, I think a lot of people are going to be running on that platform. Is it something the president needs to be worried about? Let's start with Mike and Madison. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. I'll start by saying, you know, I'm a conservative voter, never Trumper. I would love to see him impeached. I think he's the worst Republican candidate in the history of our presidency. That said, I think they'll run on that. I don't think they'll try to impeach him, because why would they? Four years goes by fast, and as long as Trump keeps blowing himself up and bringing the Republican Party with him, they'll have everything for eight years after 20. So why bother impeaching him when you can simply let him implode? That's He's going to bring everything down with him. Why bother with the impeachment? Is there anything he can do to turn it around, or do you think it's a lost cause? At this point, he's lost. I had some hope, you know, two, three months ago. But, I mean, the guy's just crazy. I mean, he's, I think, I'll take it a third step. I truly think he's a plant by the Clintons. I mean, not to be so insane, but, I mean, he's so bad, you almost think he's working for the Democrats to destroy the Republican Party. Well, well, thanks for the call. Well, I, see, and I don't think that. I just think he's a, a loose cannon. And it's it's been interesting because, I mean, one of the reasons that I say he's not going to be impeached in the next year and a half is, first of all, I don't believe he's committed an impeachable offense. Um, I, I think... See, here's the thing. I think Democrats need to be careful about that strategy because impeachment is a a nuclear option. You saw this play out in the recall elections in Wisconsin in, you know, 2011. Right. There were people who I mean, I believe the left grossly overplayed its hand when it came to to Scott Walker. There were people who who didn't like Act 10. There were perhaps moderate people out there who would have preferred that Governor Walker take a different course or not be as aggressive or, or whatever. But but they weren't on board with the recall. And, and I think, you, you know, you saw that play out. I think this strategy, there's a lot of people out there who aren't happy with President Trump. But at the same time, as we frequently say, uh, elections have consequences. And I, I think... 
uh, for a lot of average voters who maybe, uh, again, have trouble. The point I always try to make is I think President Trump's style is much different than the, the substance. I think on substance, you know, he's right on, on many issues, not not all the issues. But it's his style that causes him a lot of trouble. The 3 a.m. tweets, the um, tendency to be thin-skinned and to shoot from the hip when you should perhaps be a tad more presidential. But I, I think that the strategy, if, if you're going to actually run and say, hey, we're, we're going to impeach President Trump unless unless there is something that emerges that suggests that there really is an impeachable offense here. You know, you don't impeach somebody just because you, you don't like them. You impeach somebody because they have committed an impeachable offense. And at least right now, there, there's nothing out there that suggests that President Trump has committed an impeachable offense. I actually think this strategy, if it plays out, would actually work to the benefit of the Republicans, because I think there's a lot of people, like I say, even if they might not be happy with President Trump, um, their reaction is going to be, no, that, that we don't remove people. Um, let's see, Dan on Dan sends us a, um, a text. Impeachment is an extreme measure. Winning seats in swing districts requires convincing moderate voters. I think campaigning on impeachment is a losing strategy. I, I agree as well. Now, this is going to be, believe me, it's something that will, will be red meat for certain voters and is probably something that you can use to generate money. You send out the blasts to the left saying, hey, you know, if here, you know, here's here's so and so that's running from con- for Congress in this district. And one of the things he's going to do is he's going to be a reliable vote for impeachment. Send him money. Will that be a successful fundraising tool? I, I think it undoubtedly will. Will it ultimately succeed and help you win seats? I, I don't. I, I just I have severe doubts about that. Uh, let's see, Jan text. A friend and I were discussing the same possibility about a week ago. Yeah, more people are are talking about it. Uh, Kevin and Mosquito text. Be very careful about making your election platform ask ousting a sitting politician. Uh, Democrats here in Wisconsin know how that worked for them. Yeah, that was my point as well. You, you had I think it was the the over the overreach that came with the the recalls. Let's talk to Joe in Menominee Falls. Joe, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Yes, good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think, sir? Uh, yeah, I think they will run on impeachment. You know, I don't think they can help themselves. And it prevents them from having to talk about actual events and actual facts. Mm-hmm. You know, it, how can they run on, you know, let's, let's go back to Obama's policy on North Korea. What did he do there? Well, nothing. Right. Let's go back to Obama's policy in Syria. That was that was a tremendous success. Let's go back to Obama's budget. You know, hundreds of billions of dollars of debt added on to our budget every year. They can't talk about any of that. So so they will jump to impeachment. What kills me is these these never Trumpers. I've never been a Trump supporter. But face it, one of your callers called in, he's a never Trumper, he'd like to see him impeached. There's a guy sitting in the Oval Office who will sign legislation that will improve our country and move our nation forward. Who right. cares? Who cares what name's on the bill? Who cares? Well, no, and I guess, I, Joe, I mean, my frustration is that we're, we're not getting enough of that done. And my frustration, to tell you the truth, is that I, I think, again, what I'm describing as as the style, the, the text, the, the, the pettiness, um, I, I think that's getting in the way, the, the deciding that I, I'm going to, 
rather than try to work with these Republican majorities, I'm going to I'm going to go after Jeff Flake. I'm going to go after John McCain. I mean, okay, and then, you know, you need them. You need them to get stuff done. And if you're constantly attacking them, well, it, it's not going to end up happening. So my concern is it's the style that has stopped us from getting as much stuff done as we want to. Now, we had Congressman Glenn Grothman on the show yesterday, and he said he really believes that, you know, you're going to get meaningful tax reform done by the end of the year. I hope so. Those are the things that among Supreme Court justice appointments and other things, those are the, the opportunities that we have now. You don't want to see it squandered. I think I think that you are going to see this impeachment strategy play out. I don't necessarily think it's going to be an electoral winner, though. All right, when we come back in just a couple minutes, there is a development today that might change, might change the way you shop for groceries. I'll tell you all about it, and we'll discuss. Stick around. It's 1027. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Just Jane was mentioning this. Just when you thought it couldn't get worse in Houston, it, it is. Um, I haven't been to Houston in a long time, so I'm having trouble. I've been there, but I'm, I'm having trouble placing some of these neighborhoods. But, of course, you, you've had this monster rainfall that's been coming down, and Houston is, is at sea level, or essentially at sea level. So there, there's really nowhere for the water to go. And uh, here, let's see, this is the way it's being reported on Fox News. An already swollen reservoir west of downtown Houston overtopped its spillway on Tuesday. So the cup is full and it is now overflowing, sending an uncontrolled release of flood water into nearby neighborhoods as a separate levee breach south of the city prompted an urgent warning for residents to leave immediately. Floodwaters in the Attics Reservoir, located about 19 miles west of downtown, went over the top of the 108-foot spillway for the first time in history, threatening immediate surrounding subdivisions. Um, one of the local meteorologists said it's something they've never seen before. Um, they said it's not going to happen fast. It's a slow ride. But um, now it, it's you're going to have this flow. Hours after the Attics Reservoir was overtopped, officials in Brazoria County, located south of Houston, warned that a levee at Columbia Lakes had been breached by floodwaters. Uh, the levee has been breached and urging residents who had not already evacuated the area to leave immediately, writing, um, get out now. The level of water in Attics Reservoir and the neighboring reservoir in Houston are so high that flood gauges have themselves been flooded. Um, and there's just, right now, there's just nothing nothing to do. They're saying the challenge we face right now is that um, how you've got the flow interacting with the system, where is the water going to go? Um, it's, it's just an absolute and total nightmare. And as bad as they predicted it was going to be, it appears to be worse. County officials say they're monitoring six neighborhoods around the reservoir, and they're saying just get out because once the water comes onto a street, you are just flat not going to be able to leave. So, you know, you've got these – they're talking about second-story homes are also going to be, you know, at risk. So even people that have the two-story homes that are going up to the second floor because the first floor is going to flood, they're saying um, that that's, that's not going to be enough. The Army Corps started releasing water Monday at these reservoirs because the water levels were climbing at a rate of more than six inches per hour. The move was supposed to help shield the district from floodwaters, but 
it's not enough. There's just too much water coming down. This is just, it. it is, I mean, it is a flood of several lifetimes. And it's a, I, you just don't know. I mean, I understand the predictions are that, you know, this is going to rain for another day and a half down there. And your heart just has to go out to the people who are dealing with this. Okay, let us switch gears. Let me back into this topic. There are a lot of people who hate Walmart. Uh, for for whatever reason, Walmart doesn't pay its workers well enough. Walmart uh, is this. Walmart drives out the local mom and pop grocery stores, well, the local mom and pop hardware stores. There's a lot of people that hate Walmart, and I get that. The problem, though, is that the reason Walmart is so successful is that people shop at Walmart because uh, many of the same people that complain about Walmart this or Walmart that are the same people that are standing in line outside the Walmart at 3 a.m. the day after Thanksgiving or whenever the heck it opens nowadays because they want to buy the $59 DVD player or Blu-ray disc player or, or whatever. Walmart has created the successful model because people want inexpensive and people are convinced that you know Walmart sells stuff cheap and it sells stuff that people want. All right, so that that's why Walmart is successful in the grocery business. The grocery business is a very very difficult business. Profit margins are really really small. But the way grocery stores, you know, make money in general is that the profit margins are small, but people go in and they buy a lot of stuff. So maybe you're making, you know, a half cent or a cent on a can of peas or whatever, but okay, but you're hoping to sell, you know, a thousand cans of peas or, or whatever. That's it. So it's small profit margins, but you, you hope to make up for this in volume. Some shoppers don't are not necessarily price sensitive. Some shoppers make the decision that, hey, there's stores that we like because they've got, you know, top-notch produce, or we think they've got better meat or whatever, so we're willing to pay a little more. More and more, though, people, I I think, are are paying real attention to to cost, which is why some of the discount grocers have started, you know, really doing well, because people go in there and say, well, you know, what's what's really the difference? I mean, sugar, you know, sugar... um, Frosted Flakes are Frosted Flakes. So, I mean, what, why do I care where I buy the Frosted Flakes? I want to go where they're, they're cheap. And cheap drives a lot, just like cheap drives a lot of the success of Walmart. I mean, inexpensive, cheap, that, that drives, I think, a lot of shopping decisions when it comes to groceries. All right, we have been talking for months about Amazon, which uh, Amazon, of course, they offer convenience. You order online. But they also offer low prices. I mean, you can go to Amazon and you can find, you know, you can find some low price deals. Amazon yesterday, um, their purchase of Whole Foods, which traditionally has been sort of a high end grocery store, the purchase was completed, and the first thing that Amazon started doing, and they started yesterday, is they've been announcing that. Um, they're slashing prices on Whole Foods items by up to 43%. Um, so th- they're not doing it on all items yet. But, but in general, for a lot of stuff that people shop at, what they've done is that they're, they're going through massive, massive price cuts. 
and that they're saying, okay, what happened yesterday was just the start. Um, look for more and more price cuts. And they also say these price cuts aren't temporary. I mean, we are, we're going to take our prices and we're going to reduce them 25, 30, 40, in some cases up to 43%. Um, and we're going to keep it like this. And again, this is an aggressive approach to this. But the idea is, I think that Amazon is now trying to signal to other grocery retailers, hey, we're in this business, and we're going to take our Amazon model of trying to offer price-cutting things, and, and we're, we're going we're to sell quality stuff, but we're going to sell it for less than you can get it at the other chain grocery stores. Now, it was interesting what happened yesterday. Um, stocks of some of the major grocery stores, like, like Kroger Company, um, dropped. Um, they went down, and it was solely in response to to the decision to cut prices at Whole Foods. On top of that, Amazon apparently plans to give a, an added price savings to Amazon Prime members, and they're already starting to sell stuff like their Echo and their Echo Dot voice-assisted devices, you know, Alexis, Play, WTMJ, you know, in Whole Foods as they're integrating the companies. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have to tell you, I think this development is a game-changer when it comes to to grocery shopping i think that one i think that what is going to happen and there's already a shakeout that's going on in the grocery business you think about some of the smaller specialty grocery stores that operated for example in in the Milwaukee area for years that ended up closing or being taken over by by some of the larger chains i think this is going to accelerate that that process and I think this sends a shot across the bow to these other larger chains that, hey, Amazon is here. And, and I think, candidly, I think that what's going to happen is as a result of this, you're going to see price cutting and you're going to see places going out of business. 414-799-1620. Will you, and maybe you never shopped at Whole Foods in your life. But given the fact that now they're talking about massive price cuts, would that get you to go there? I think lots of people are going to say yes. 414-799-1620. Is this major price cut, if it sticks, is this going to change the way and where people buy groceries across the country? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. Are your shopping habits going to change? It's 1044. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Ten forty-eight. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. As remnants of Hurricane Harvey continue to wreak havoc in Texas, one man is just now returning to his home. What did he find out, and what does the future hold for him in his hometown? John McCure shares his story at three thirty-four on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Yeah, I was. I was wondering. I told this story last Thursday night. I was in a restaurant in the West Bend area, and we we ran into this couple who is from Houston, but they spend August in, in Lake Country, and they've been doing it for. 40, 50 years, and they were getting ready to leave Thursday night. They were leaving Friday morning, two-day drive to Houston. And I obviously, um, I, I just, I'm, I'm actually very interested, really nice older couple. I'm wondering, you know, what happened. Hopefully, 
hopefully they got as far as somewhere in Missouri on Friday and decided they were just going to hang out there and, and wait because it's just a mess. All right, 414-799-1620. Yesterday was a very interesting day um, in, in, in the real world. The deal Amazon com, Amazon, we've been talking about this for a number of months. Amazon finalized the purchase of Whole Foods, which is a you know a grocery chain. First thing Amazon did was they dropped prices across the board. Prices in some cases the drop was up to forty three percent. And I mean this is with the Amazon model of here, you know, we're gonna kinda of follow the Walmart model. We're gonna do what we do on Amazon. We're gonna sell stuff for less. Shares of grocery stores across the board declined yesterday. I mean, is this the future and what does what does this mean for other food retailers, particularly you know, some of the local, the smaller chains that already are having trouble competing. Let's start with Tom in Greenfield. Tom, you're on 620 WTMJ. Well, yeah, I think you're going to see thinning and hurt by a, a lot. I think that, uh, you know, you got Woodman's, you got Myers, you got Syndex, and you got Pick and Save. Pick and Save is uh, trying to fix up all their stores right now, but I think mm-hmm. Pick and Save is going to lose a lot of those stores because attitude and price is not, you know, they, you can't put the, as Sarah Palin said, you can't put uh, lipstick on a pig. Uh, you're going to have to uh, go with the market, and I think they're going to lose a lot of these stores. They uh, put a lot of stores in a bunch of years back, and uh, now they're getting rid of some, and they're trying to fix up some, but I think I think eventually they'll be gone. Well, I mean, it is. I mean, thanks for there, there is going to be a shakeout, Tom. You're, you're, you're right. I mean, we've again, we've seen that. Think about the, the local, the, the small family-owned businesses. Um, that, that used to be here five or ten years ago that now have been kind of swallowed up because they simply weren't able to to compete. Um, and, and there's still a number of those small grocery stores that are around, but, but they're making it on, hey, we've got the specialty meat department or, you know, but, but more and more as some of even the, the quote-unquote the, the low-cost places come in, they're upgrading, you know, what they have to offer. I cannot tell you how many people that I run into who tell me I, I don't have a Costco card, um, but I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people I, I know that do have Costco cards that shop at Costco and they say, hey, you know, we love this. The prices are great. Um, you know, the food quality is is great. And, you know, sometimes you don't always know, you can't always get, you know, exactly the brand you want. But at the same time, okay, aren't English muffins really just English muffins? And what difference does it make where they're coming from? I I think more and more people, I I think for a long time, people were willing to pay more for what they perceived as as being quality. But one of the things I think you're starting to see is a lot of these so-called discount grocers um, are, are now able to provide quality. And nobody ever thought of, I mean, you wouldn't think of Whole Foods as being a discount grocer. You, you just wouldn't do that. But now you've got, you know, the perception, that, okay, Whole Foods historically might have been kind of overpriced, but they had quality stuff. Now with Amazon, you're able to drop the price X percent. Um, it, it this It is going to be very, very difficult for some of the, these local local grocery chains to compete i think and this is this is the trend mike on the northwest side mike good morning you're in 620 wtmj hey good morning jeff my, my comment is uh that with the uh, whole foods purchased by amazon it's just uh actually customers go around and cherry pick stores for uh everything uh they pick uh eggs up here milk over here whatever because every store is like close to in proximity so people are just cherry picking stores 
And what I'm saying is that it's just another branch on the tree to cherry pick. The, the specialty stores that are going to uh, survive are actually going to have to make their own niche, and that's where it's at. Um, are they going to be able to do that? I don't know, but they have to be uh, really uh, competitive and really uh, show something that, you know, we are what you want for a special product. Um, I don't know how it's going to happen, really. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, no, thanks. No, it, 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 right, that is, that is what is going to be the challenge, especially, I, I think, Mike, especially as, as people start, if they get the perception that, you know, I, I always, I was always going to Jeff's supermarket because Jeff's supermarket had the greatest, greatest produce in the world. And I still like the, the gross, the, the produce at Jeff's supermarket. But you know what? I, I've tried out Whole Foods or I've tried out the whatever. And, you know, I, I think the apples that I'm getting there are, are pretty darn good, too. How do you like those apples? Plus, when I go to the larger store, I've got more choices as to, you know, the types of cereal that I can buy or whatever. I mean, it's, it is a tough time in the grocery industry. Now, at the same point, right now, while I've been looking at this from the perspective of the businesses, let's not lose sight of the fact that this is, it's a great time to be a consumer. Because, I mean, the truth of the matter, at least for the moment, if you've got a place like Amazon coming in saying, okay, we're taking over these Whole Foods, we're going to have massive price cuts. Well, I mean, clearly the way a lot of the other stores are going to have to respond is by doing their own price cuts as well, which benefits the consumer, which is good. It's 1055. Coming up in just a couple minutes, they're back. A big Labor Day rally is planned for the people who think they're entitled to $15 an hour for their job. Stick around. It's 1055. This is Jeff Wagner. And I'm Jeff Wagner. So, Jane, this is in the category of no good deed goes unpunished. All right. For 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 years and years, I have resisted getting on, on the Twitter. I have resisted this. And I, years ago, we had an old Twitter account, but that wasn't – it was under my name, but actually, like – I had people that did that, like the producers would do that and all. And so I, I, it's been encouraged to, to do this. And it, it, Jeff, it, you know, it's, it's the 21st century. Come kicking and screaming, and it's great. And I, it's not that I, I mean, I would, I would kind of lurk on Twitter, and I'd, I'd see things because there's interesting news, but I wasn't doing my own posting. So finally I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. And so yesterday afternoon we, we launched it. You can now follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 um, and follow me. And I, I've actually, I've, I've had seven tweets so far. And I'm, Good for you. Well, I'm, I'm out there, you know, and we use it to promote things that are going to be on the show and give people advance notice. And there'll be some personal stuff as well. So I'm, I'm just, I'm starting from scratch, right? Okay, so that that's it. So during the break, I, I go back into our, our programming thing and um, Steve Scafidi. So uh, I, I see you're on, on Twitter. You know, um, you know, Eric Bilstead has like 3,000 Twitter followers. And it's going, uh, oh, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I, I, said, I just started yesterday. So now that that's kind of like the standard. Can you get more Twitter followers than Eric Bilstead? It's not just, okay, now tweet, but now we, we want you to have this nucleus of thousands of Twitter followers. But there's a little bit of pressure there. I'm sure there is. It takes a little time. Are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter, but I, as like you, I, I lurk a lot more than I than I tweet. Well, not I, I have waded in with both feet now. So <laughs> I mean, it, exactly, you know. So so I'm, I am going to be a ubiquitous. How's that for a college reading word? I'm going to be a ubiquitous presence on Twitter. So well, I watch will be, it. I will be your 
301 <laughs> Let me get there. Thank you. That's <laughs> so if you if you want to check this this whole thing out, um it is Jeff Wag it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty on, on Twitter. And like I say, we had an old account but um had an old account but I, I just it was for four, five or six years ago, and we we're thinking, oh, do we try to revive this one? Nope, nope, we're, we are starting new. So at Jeff Wagner 620, and I'll keep you apprised of stuff that's going on on the show and also maybe some other stuff as well. Speaking of that, um, it, it's back. Labor Day is coming up, and there is another one of these rallies that's planned for Milwaukee on Labor Day. Um, it's going to be scheduled at 9 a.m. Um, it's going to be at Aurora Sinai Medical Center on North 12th Street, and it'll have feature appearances by a number of people who are running against Scott Walker. So this is it's an anti-Walker rally, but it's um, also, let's see, the guy that's running against Paul Ryan, who's on kind of a suicide mission to try to electorally beat Paul Ryan. That's not going to happen. He's going to be there. But this is a day of events. It's organized by the Service Employees International Unit. This is SEIU, um, who, again, are trying to um, ask fast food workers to walk off their jobs to protest their wages. Wisconsin's minimum wage is seven twenty-five an hour. Um, lots of people, of course, who work in the service industry, particularly fast food, make a lot more than $7.25 an hour. I was talking to a man who's become a friend of mine who owns a series of fast food restaurants throughout the state. And, you know, what, people who own these businesses recognize that they are in the service industry. I mean, you are you can get a hamburger a lot of different places. You've got a lot of different choices. And so what keeps you coming back to a particular fast food restaurant is, number one, you, you want the quality. You want it to be good. But number two, you want to have a pleasant experience. And, and it, it's all related to service. If you've got to sit and wait for 10 minutes in the drive-thru to get your food, well, chances are you're not going to necessarily be coming back to the place. If you order something and it's got four components to it and you get away and you get home with the stuff or you get back to the office and you find out that it's only got three of the four things it's supposed to have, well, chances are you're, you're not going to be very happy. So, you know, service is extremely important. And what this, this guy I know is saying is that, you know, we don't, we don't start people out at minimum wage because it, it's competitive. You know, we have to pay more to get quality people and that that's always our battle is trying to find you know quality people who can do the jobs but at the same time the jobs this is me speaking you know are are worth whatever it takes to get the type of person who needs to who who you need in the job to do it and this idea that we're going to spend and we're going to require for example employers to pay $15 an hour for a job that, well, really might only be worth 10. And I mean worth 10 in the perspective of the skills that the job require and the type of person you can get. You can get somebody at $10 an hour. This idea that the government would arbitrarily require the merchant to pay $15 an hour is just, to me, it's just absurd. And this argument that, well, you know, you can't make a, a you can't sustain a family of four on a job that pays $10 an hour. Well, no, you can't, right? You, you can't. 
but what is that the responsibility of the employer or isn't that really your responsibility to figure out, hey, you know, maybe I need to develop the skills so I can make $15 an hour? In any event, this guy I was talking to, I said, I'm just curious, what would be the effect if all of a sudden for the different restaurants you own that you had to pay everybody $15 an hour? The first thing he said was, Jeff, you got to understand, it, it's not, it, it wouldn't just be that. It, it's not just new hires or the people who are making less than $15 an hour, raising them to 15 It would be all across the board, everybody would have to get raises. So let's say the person right now that's making $11 an hour, who started maybe at 8 well, I, I've got to give them a 7 or $8 raise too. So it's not just you know the minimum wage people making that $15 an hour. You would be talking about massive massive salary increases across the board. And he said, candidly, if you did that, what we'd probably be looking at doing is, number one, we would be looking at more automation. Number two, we would probably be taking some of our our stores that are the lower performers, um, where we're not making as, as much money as we are at some of the higher performers, and we'd have to consider seriously closing some of these because if all of a sudden our labor costs went through the roof, well, uh, you know, we, we'd be at a point where, you know, we'd actually end up, we're, we're not, we wouldn't be making the profits that we make. The people who push for $15 an hour don't get it. They don't understand the unintended consequences that comes from this. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, you will see undoubtedly on Monday all sorts of TV broadcasts, news broadcasts, fast food workers walking off of the job to protest that they want $15 an hour. I think, number one, this is crazy. If you want $15 an hour, develop the skills so that you can go and command $15 or more an hour in a competitive workplace. Don't expect the government to force employers to give it to you if you're not worth it. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I understand that sounds like tough love, but to me it's, it's just true. Jobs are worth what it takes an employer to find the person that they want to have the job um, to, to do it. And $15 an hour would be devastating to lots of local businesses because it doesn't just stop at $15 an hour. All right, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1117. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1120, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Aaron sends a text. Jeff, I don't tweet, but I am now one of your followers. See? It, you can follow me. I'm on Twitter. This is the first day, at Jeff Wagner, 620. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, big protests planned for Labor Day. They're being organized by SEIU, which is the Service Employees Union. And, and SEIU is all about money. What they want to do is, this is the big thing. We want to try to unionize fast food workers. We want to convince them to give us union dues. So we're trying to mobilize them around a $15 an hour minimum wage. That is, in my opinion, a complete and total non-starter. Matter of fact, communities that are starting to do this or trying to do it, like Seattle, it is blowing up in their face in a big way. Let's start with Jeff in Waterford. Jeff, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, what happens if all of a sudden everybody has to make at least $15 an hour? 
well, obviously they're not thinking of the company because uh, the company won't be around and your larger franchises that can accept this are going to go robotic. Yep, automation, yep. That's right. So they'll be out of a job. Well, that, you know, thanks. I mean, see, you know, you're already starting to see that to an extent. There was a story we talked about not that long ago involving Wendy's. And, and look, more, more and more stuff is becoming automated. I mean, I've, I've told the story before as somebody who periodically goes to racetracks. I mean, 15 years ago, if you would go to Arlington, for example, want to bet on the horses, I mean, what you would see is you would see teller windows. In every, every betting window would be staffed with a person. That's not it. You go down there nowadays, and you can shoot kind of a, a cannon through you know the, the those those areas, um, there's a couple tellers, but more and more there's machines. People just use the betting machines. It's automation. Wendy's, my understanding is, um, you know, you can put in a kiosk where people go and they order themselves, and then they so instead of somebody actually having to take your order, you you can just punch in what you want, and then you go up to the counter, and they end up giving it to you. Well, you still need a person to give you the food, but you don't need three or four people there to take your orders. And these kiosks that they have, I mean, they, they cost a little bit of money to invest in them, but the you know there, there's a payback period. You know, sooner... And the more and more you end up paying people, if you've got to pay people $15 an hour, that payback period for the kiosk, the person gets its money back, their money back in a year, as opposed to three years. Well, people are going to lose their jobs. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Debbie in Appleton. Debbie, good morning. Hi. My comment was um, more about um, minimum wage isn't meant to be a permanent wage. It's supposed to be an introductory wage especially for people who are just starting out in the workforce. Yeah. And as you grow in those skills, then you should be able to get paid more or move up in the system. Right. The idea of minimum wage is when I sent my son out for a job, mm-hmm. it was, I want you to get the introductory skills of how to be a worker. It was, this wasn't a permanent yeah. position. Well, and if, if you look at a lot of the people, not all, but a good percentage of the people that are working these kind of jobs, it's, it's like you say, it's the, the people starting off, the high school kids, Correct. maybe the college kids, you know, who, who are doing something else. Um, maybe it's some retirees who aren't looking for full-time work, but they're looking to pick up a little bit of money. Maybe it's the, um, I, I don't know, maybe it's the mom or the dad that are, again, they're working part-time or maybe it's a second job or whatever. But, yeah, it's not it's not designed to support a family of four it, it, because, again, the skill level doesn't support that. It, the skill level doesn't justify that. Correct. Right. Thanks for calling. And that's not, a, and that's not to demean the, the nature of the people that are, are working there. Matter of fact, um, actually, my, the guy I was talking about, we're, we're going to try to work this out. He was saying, I'd, I'd really like you to see what this job is all about. Why don't you come and try to try to work the fast food line for an hour? Or, you know, you take the orders in the drive-thru. And it's, I, that sounds like fun. And actually, if we maybe we'll be able to work something like that and maybe you know raise some money for charity or something like that. I've been thinking about actually doing that. So I'm not demeaning the people that do it in any way, shape, or form. But at the same time, this idea that you're going to have the government that's going to come in and arbitrarily say, all right, you have to pay people at least $15. And, again, keep in mind, as I was talking about earlier, the ripple effect. It, 
I, I'm working at a place. I started at eight. I've been there for three and a half years. I'm now at twelve fifty or whatever. Well, you're not just going to raise. You're not. If, you know, if all of a sudden the minimum wage is fifteen, you're not, not going to raise me to fifteen the same way you're hiring the new hires. You know, you're going to have to pay me eighteen or nineteen dollars. I mean, it is a. It's just a huge cost that's out there. Let's talk to Sue in Milwaukee. Sue, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Yes, good morning, and thank you very much for taking well, my Well, thank call. you for calling. I just wanted to comment that we went through on an extensive trip to Canada, and it's a common thing in Canada at McDonald's, where you go in, you do have one person to place your order with, but people don't. There are four kiosks mm-hmm. that you go through, and people come in, and it's very um, highly accepted there. And I think that's coming to the U.S. Yeah, and it's going to and, and the, no oh, thanks to the call Sue and, and I guess my point is, it, it's it's coming to the U.S. now and it's going to come more quickly if you start increasing labor costs because again there's I, I'm, I think one of the things that's going on now is look if, if you let let's say you own a burger doodle and you're trying to decide okay I, I'm thinking about automating I'm thinking about going the kiosk route and it's going to cost me five grand to put in a, a, a three way kiosk. All right, well, okay, I'm going to have to advance that $5,000, and that's going to let me get rid of two employees. Okay, how? what's the payback period going to be? You know, how long is it going to take me to, you know, save the money to justify the cost? Well, if all of a sudden you've got to pay people $15 an hour instead of 9 or 10 well, it, it's that, that payback period becomes a lot quicker. And, and again, I, for for many many people that for example work in the fast food industry they're not making minimum wage you talk to a lot of the people who again run the burger doodles and they'll tell you you know we need we need to get a certain type of person you know who's number 1 going to come to the going to show up on time number 2 going to continue to show up instead of working 3 days and giving up and number 3 you know be able to do the job so in order to do that we're going to have to pay more so i mean my guess is my guess is a lot of people aren't just making that flat out minimum wage of 775 or 8 dollars an hour but all right so you you if the market says 10 dollars an hour that's what you should get pure and simple but Again, if you're planning to get a fast food breakfast on Monday morning, Labor Day, be prepared. There might be some walkouts as these groups. Again, this is a political stunt. It's pulled by SEIU. They are trying to, again, increase their membership so they can get more union dues, so they can try to defeat those evil Republicans like Scott Walker. And if in the process lots of people lose their jobs, all right, well, SEIU is willing to live with that, I guess. It's 1128. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1135. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right, this is an extremely interesting story, at least it is to me. And this is from the perspective of somebody who fought for years to try to get Wisconsin to pass a law which allows law-abiding citizens to, to get a permit which allows them to conceal, carry a concealed firearm. All right, here's the story. Matter of fact, JS Online is reporting this. The guy's name is Guy Smith. He's a 52-year-old commercial truck driver from Merrill. And he has concerns about being robbed, you know, as, as he's driving his truck. So um, he carries a gun to protect himself. He also 
takes the position that he should not need a concealed carry permit to carry his firearm in his vehicle. So what happens is um, he pulls into a way station in Pleasant Prairie down in Kenosha County in June of last year, and he makes no effort to hide his, his revolver. I mean, he puts it on the floor of, of his cab. So it's, it's, in, it's in the car. Inspectors look at the floor of the cab. They see the gun. They approach him, and they cite him for carrying a concealed weapon, uh, a misdemeanor, and they seize the gun. He ends up getting charged with a crime. He says, wait a second. He says, you know, under the law, carrying a concealed weapon is no longer a crime applicable to handguns in in vehicles. And he takes the position that um, the the law specifically allows this to uh, go on. He says, you know, I should have the right to have a gun without a permit in order to you know protect myself in in my car and he said um, you know this is this is this should be allowed so he ended up getting charged with with an offense um, and he decided to fight it and the new story here is that uh, the matter was scheduled to go to trial and yesterday and the prosecution backed down. The prosecution dismissed the case because apparently they felt that they would not be able to prove that this was, in fact, a crime. All right. Now, there's no question the guy could have gotten a concealed carry permit. But, you know, the man took the position, hey, I, I don't need one. The law doesn't require me to have one. And, and I don't want to get one. If it's my car, I should be able to have a firearm in this vehicle to protect myself. All right, I, I don't want to talk about the, the legalities of this. I want to talk about what is right and what is wrong. Now, clearly, and again, we're not talking about felons or anything like that. We're not talking about people who are prohibited from, having, from, from owning firearms in the first place. You do not need a concealed carry permit to have a gun in your house. I mean, you you can have a gun in your house. You can keep it, you know, in the desk drawer. You can keep it in your nightstand. You don't need a permit to have a gun. It can be loaded. It can be unloaded. Again, there's rules if you've got kids around and that type of stuff. But, you know, putting that aside, you have a right to have a firearm in your house, and you do not have to have a permit, a concealed carry permit, to do that. All right, when it comes to your automobile, again, I don't want to discuss what what the law is. I want to discuss what the law should be. Do you think someone should have to have a concealed carry permit to carry a firearm in their car? Or is it just like, hey, if you're openly carrying the firearm, you know, outside, walking down the street, is your home like your car? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should you have to have a permit to drive around with a firearm loaded or unloaded in your car? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss. But, again, regardless of what the law is now, should there be a law against people being able to drive around with loaded firearms in their car. 
414-799-1620. What do you think? We discuss next. It's 1140. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eleven forty-three. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. All right. I have no quarrel with what the Kenosha District Attorney did in this case. Guy, he's a truck driver. Um, he takes the position that under the law, he can drive around with a firearm in his, the cab of his truck without having any sort of permit at all. And he points to um, a statute. There, there's apparently a conflict between the statutes, but there is a Wisconsin statute that says. No person may place, possess, or transport a firearm, bow, or crossbow in or on a vehicle unless one of the following applies. Number one, the firearm is unloaded or is a handgun. So he takes the position that since, hey, this says that it's a handgun, um, I'm entitled to, you know, have this handgun, including a loaded handgun, you know, in the cab of the car. He says, I want this for self-defense. Now, 414-799-1620 is is the number. Um, And again, he doesn't have a concealed carry permit. I understand I'm going where angels fear to tread on this. um, But I, I think without talking about what the intent of the law is, I fully believe that if you are going to be driving around with a loaded firearm in your car, I think you should have to have a concealed carry permit to go with it. I I do. I think your automobile is different than your house. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a right to drive with a firearm in your car. Because, of course, I mean, that whole, if you're not allowed to do that, it defeats the whole purpose of concealed carry. But I think you need a concealed carry. I think you should have to have a concealed carry permit. And I think this is, uh, to the extent that the law says otherwise, I think it is a mistake or not necessarily well thought out. Again, if you want to have a loaded firearm in your car, I'm okay with that to the extent that you have the concealed carry permit. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Alan in Houstisford. Alan, you're first. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Uh, I'm all in favor of having the concealed uh, carry permit so that you can have the loaded weapon in the in the vehicle. Otherwise, uh, the only ones that are going to have the loaded weapon in a vehicle anyway are the ones that wouldn't qualify for a permit or shouldn't have a weapon in the first place. Now, this guy says even though he could have gotten a permit, he didn't want to because he didn't think he would need one. But but you think you would agree with me that just I mean that if, if you want if you want to if you want to drive around with a loaded gun under your car seat, you, you should have a permit just like you need the permit to carry it in a concealed fashion in the first place. Right. Yes, I agree with that. Um, yeah. Thanks for calling. Now, that's the right. And that that's that's kind of where. I come down on this. Um, okay, let's see. Our text line is exploding. No, you should not be allowed to have a gun in the car. The Castle Doctrine is meant to protect protect you in your domicile. The Castle Doctrine is, uh, again, your home is your castle. And if somebody's breaking in, for example, you, and you're threatened with deadly force, you can use deadly force to respond. Anyway, no, you should not be allowed to have a gun in your car. The castle doctrine is meant to protect you in your domicile, so unless you are sleeping, eating, and entertaining guests in your car, you should not be allowed to have one in it unlicensed. Now, what this guy says is, well, this it's not just my car. This is the cab of my truck, and it is kind of like my home because I eat in it, 
I will sleep in it from time to time, and I, in some cases I spend more time in the cab of my vehicle than I do at my house. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to um, Jim in McGuanago. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. You just stepped on what I was going to say. If, okay. If that you, I heard you basically mention that he was, it was a truck. He was right. In. And if that's his domicile, if he sleeps in it and he eats in it, okay, castle doctrine probably. That's why they backed away from prosecuting him because right. you're getting into some murky waters. Well, right, and also there's there's two statutes that are in conflict. But let me let me ask you. But let let's talk about the policy. The guy could get a concealed carry permit. Um, do you think, rather than having to decide on a case-by-case basis, you know, is, is your car the equivalent of your home, do you think it would be unreasonable to say, hey, if you want to keep a loaded gun with you in your car, you've got to get a permit? In this particular instance, Jeff, you know, like for truck drivers and that, I would say yes if every state had to recognize that concealed carry permit, mm-hmm. but they don't all recognize one concealed carry right. statute or permit. What about what about if it wasn't a truck driver? What if it's what if it's you or me? You know, we hang out in our cars. Uh, we, we hang out our cars uh, a lot. Do you think that the average person should be able to carry a loaded firearm in their car with a loaded handgun in their car without it being uh, without having a permit? Uh, you know, I think it's done a lot. Um, right. Whether it's right or it's wrong, okay. And people have been shot for having a concealed uh, firearm in their car, even I, though they tell the police. Yeah. yeah. See, I guess, I mean, I guess, see, I just think, I, I just think cars are different than, than houses. Um, and, you know, and historically, that that's you know when I was in law school you know when I was a criminal prosecutor those, those were the, I mean that's what the, the rules that apply to your house for example are different than the rules that apply to your car because cars are mobile there's not the same degree of protection under the Fourth Amendment um, which prohibits us prevents the government from making unreasonable searches and seizures the the rules that apply to the car to your car is different than the rules that apply to your house and I guess I I guess I see that distinction. I'm not arguing that the man shouldn't have a right to carry a firearm in his car. Like I say, if you didn't let him carry a loaded firearm, it would largely defeat the whole purpose of concealed carry. I just don't think it would be unreasonable. And again, without going into what the law does or doesn't require right now, I don't think it would be unreasonable to say, you know, get get a permit. Let's talk to Jeff in Mequon. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hello, Jeff. Uh, I agree that he should be allowed to carry a firearm, I believe, in constitutional carry. Unfortunately, I'm a commercial truck driver for 22 years, and according to federal regulations, illegal it is illegal to carry a firearm in a commercial vehicle, unfortunately. With or without a permit, huh? You can't. Permits don't apply. It's illegal to have a firearm in a commercial vehicle. Interesting. Now, I don't know because he was from Wisconsin, and that was the Wisconsin scale. The DA may not have, uh, didn't want to go there, you know, but federally it's illegal to carry a firearm in a commercial vehicle, which is unfortunate because we carry millions of dollars worth of freight across the United States. Well, right, and, and you guys are targets. I mean, thanks for that. See, and that's why, I mean, I, I, I've told this story before, so bear with me. When I was, um, when I was growing up, 
um, a, a friend of mine, eh, if a friend of mine, his, his dad was a jeweler. And uh, this is this is a number of years ago. And he was a jeweler. And so and people knew he was a jeweler. And he's one of his jewelry stores was in what I would describe as kind of a high uh, a sort of a high crime area back in the day, and people knew he was a jeweler, and he was a target. And from time to time, you know, you'd leave the store, and you'd have a you'd have a sample case with lots of jewelry and things like that. And he'd been robbed two or three times. And so what what he did was, even though it was against the law, his attitude was essentially to heck with this. I'm I'm sick of people coming up and robbing me. And he knew how to use a handgun, and he always carried a ga- handgun, a loaded handgun, illegally. But he had it under his seat or he had it somewhere within easy reach. So if somebody came up and tried to rob him, he at least had the option of trying to grab that gun. And he violated he was violating the law. And that was one of the reasons I argued for concealed carry permits for so long, because I always had an image of this man. And I didn't think he should be a criminal for wanting to do what I thought was a reasonable thing. That is protect himself, you know, because, again, he was he was a target. Now, having said that, I don't think it is also unreasonable for him to have to get some sort of permit, you know, giving him permission to carry that concealed weapon. Um, This is something I think the legislature's got to take a look at. And I actually appreciate the last caller because I'm not even sure how the federal law interacts in this. But he was charged in state court and they apparently decided this is not it's not a crime under Wisconsin law. At least we don't want to tend to push this issue. But I, I don't this is one where, and I mean, I support people's Second Amendment rights, I do, but I think if you're going to carry a, a loaded handgun in your car, I don't think it's unreasonable to have to expect a permit. Hey, before the show ends, and before we bring in Scafidi and Bilstadt, I just want to mention one other thing. Huge controversy involving President Trump's decision to issue a sort of preemptive pardon for the the sheriff out of Arizona, Sheriff Joe Arpaio, which is how I think you pronounce his name. He was convicted of, he was found guilty of, of contempt of court for ignoring a federal judge's order with regard to how he handled immigration. And President Trump, even though he hadn't been sentenced yet, President Trump issued a, a pardon for him. And then as part of the way he defended it, I mean, Trump came out and he talked about a number of other controversial pardons. For example, when uh, Bill Clinton, on his way out of office, issued a pardon for Mark Rich, who was a fugitive financier accused of evading sanctions against Iran during the hostage crisis. Um, Rich's wife gave $450,000 to the Clinton Foundation. Rich was a fugitive and Clinton pardoned him. That was an appalling and disgraceful pardon. Um, Clinton also commuted the sentence of this woman named Susan Rosenberg, who was a member of the Weather Underground, who was convicted of possession of explosives and accused of an armed car robbery that left two security guards and a police officer dead. Bill Clinton pardoned her. That was a disgraceful use of the pardon policy. Carlos uh, Vigilani, a cocaine trafficker whose father had contributed to Democratic campaigns, Clinton commuted his sentence. Actually, with Rosenberg, he commuted her sentence as well. Um, and, And it goes on and on. And so President Trump was pointing out to all these abysmal and disgraceful pardons issued, in many cases, by Bill Clinton, who I think was politically motivated on his way out of office and decided to commute sentences or issue pardons for people who didn't deserve it. 
I appreciate what the president said. That being said, this is why this is why I don't think presidents should be using the pardon power. I disagreed with all those that Clinton did. I disagreed with many that Obama did. I agree with Scott Walker, who almost I don't know that he's ever used his pardon power as governor. To me, you let the court system work. And unless you've got a clear case where it's a miscarriage of justice and somebody's innocent, you let it play out. And that's why I think President Trump was wrong, just like Bill Clinton was wrong over and over again when he issued politically motivated pardons. I think President Trump was wrong when he issued his politically motivated uh, pardon.